0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for Ray Church of the Nazarene. I'm Ben Beckner, Senior Pastor, and I'm glad that you have tuned in to listen to our services and sermons. We've reopened our sanctuary and would love to have you join us in person at 410 Blake Street in Ray, Colorado for our Sunday morning worship services that begin at 1045, if you feel comfortable to do so. We would also invite you to join us live on Facebook, YouTube, or our website if that's a better fit for you at this time. Please visit our website at raynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information regarding our services. It is my prayer that you experience the presence of God during your time with us, whether in person or online. Again, thank you and welcome to our podcast. This week's message is a continuation of our new sermon series entitled Dependent. This week we talk about a passage out of Psalm 139. It's one of my favorite passages, and we discover here when that when we feel alone, we can be thankful that we have a God who knows us intimately and sees us constantly. And we can trust him with our life and our future because his intimate knowledge of us shows him to be trustworthy. I pray that you are blessed as you listen to this message. When I was in 5th grade, a kid named Tony was brand new to the school. And Tony was one of these kids that was easy to pick on. Tony was one of these kids that um, really strived to be the teacher's pet. He was the kid that thought himself better than everyone else. He was one that um, was kind of condescending to to me and, and some of the other students. He was a kid that just, from day one, really got under my nerves. And I wanted to put him in his place. So... What I did was, um, in school at that time, we had these wooden desks and these wooden chairs. They're not plastic like they are now, and I, um, Tony was out with another part of the class doing something else, so I went over to where his desk was and his chair was, and I found this pencil with the eraser broken off so it was just the sharp metal end, and I carved his name into the seat of that chair. And I thought, that's going to show him. He's going to get in trouble with the teacher. He's going to get yelled at. This will be great." And so I waited, and you know, class came back in, and everybody gathers in. And the teacher, as you know time went on, towards the end of the day, pulled me aside, and she goes, "Is there anything you want to share with me about um, what's carved on, on Tony's chair?" And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" She's like, well, somebody carved his name in that, in that chair. You don't know anything about that? Oh, no, I don't know anything about that. She's like, well, it's kind of funny because, you know, I, I saw you sitting there at one point today, and, and you sure you don't no I don't know anything about that. Well, it's kind of funny, too, she says, because his name it wasn't spelled right, so I don't think it was him. I'm like... Got to think, and she goes, well, and so I'm going to ask you, how would you spell Tony? Tony? T-O-N-Y, right? I'm fifth grade. I know how to spell. And she goes, he spells his name T-O-N-E-Y. So I don't think that he carved his name into that chair. Are you sure you don't know something about that? And so I knew at that point that I was found out, that she knew I knew she knew, and I had to face those consequences. This week we're continuing our series "Dependent," and it's a it's a series about Thanksgiving, and it's a series where we talk about how God's goodness, how God's faithfulness, God always um, sees us through. And this morning, I want to read to you from Psalm one thirty nine, verses one through twelve, and as we read that. I think you'll begin to see why I shared that story with you about Tony. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12. David writes this, "'O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. "'You know when I sit and when I rise. "'You perceive my thoughts from afar. "'You discern my going out and my lying down. "'You are familiar with all my ways. "'Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord.'" If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be too dark for you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. Heavenly Father, would you once again guide and direct us as we spend time together in your word? May these words today be your words. And may this message be your message. I pray and ask these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. I have a friend of mine, his name's Mickey, and Mickey is an old youth pastor, and Mickey told me one time he spent um, the better part of a year every morning as part of his devotions reading through Psalm 139. And I thought, every day, (laughs) like the same psalm, he's like, yeah, every day the same psalm and it was amazing the things, as, as he shared with me, that God showed him over the course of a whole year reading this one psalm. And, and it's become one of my favorites as well. And this morning, I want to point out a couple of things that I noticed as, as, we spent, as I spent time through this. Um, and it wasn't until actually um, this morning that a lot of these pieces came together. I've been praying and trying to do things a little bit different in, in my sermon prep and it always seems like at the very last minute, God does what he does. And I really wish he wouldn't wait until the last minute. So this morning, as, as we do this, um, bear with me. A lot of this, uh, the, the study and the background I had together, but it wasn't until this morning all these pieces came together that I want to share this with you today. So the first thing that stood out in verses 1 through 6, these are, these are kind of stanzas these are, are kind of different um, almost thoughts that David works through, and so this first stanza is is David talking about god 's knowledge of us god God reveals himself to to David in this way he he, he is explaining to him how David has presented himself to God and God knows all of these things, right? And, and David works through this process. We can trust God with our life and our future because of his intimate knowledge and that he shows himself to be trustworthy to us. So in verses 2 through 4, these are examples of how, how well God knew David. And, and the Lord knew every move that David made. God knew not only David's actions, but he also knew the motivation for why he was doing what he did. It's revealed here that all of, all of David's thoughts, all the aspects of himself, which he could keep hidden from man, they were understood fully by God. Every trip that he took, every rest that he indulged in, no matter how secret, it was searched out literally, winnowed. And God even went back behind the spoken words to the very intent and, sh- and uh, man, my notes are a mess right here. I apologize. All of his thoughts, all of David's thoughts were discerned by God. The Hebrew here that, that, that David uses is translated as winnowed. Winnowed is a process by which um, chaff is sorted from, from wheat or from grain. And it was just, everything was thrown up into the, into the air. The wind carried the chaff away. And so it was separated. And so as we look through verses, um, verse number three, it says, you discern my going out and my lying down. That word discern is used as winnowed, meaning God was able to judge what was happening as David went out, as he did what he was doing. God was able to judge that. Another interesting words that David used here is in verse 4. So the words there, I'm going to read verse 4 again. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. So the words know, the words understand, the words observe and the words are aware. They speak of God's omniscience, His presence. The word observe comes from the Hebrew word root zera, which means measure. The Hebrew word for ways does not necessarily denote literal walking out, but a daily behavior. So as we think about those things, here in verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. The way that God knows what is going on, he's present. It's not a separation. It's not David explaining these things and God was like, oh, oh, that's what you were doing. No, God knew it. He understood it. He was fully aware of it. And he was able to judge it and understand it in a way that was deeper than just the surface level. Verse 5, I want to draw you to verse 5 2 again, real quick. He says this You hem me in behind and before. This, this can literally be translated as back, front, or an enclosure. So, with those things in mind, as we work through this psalm, David is, is expressing God's presence in a way that's much more than just like here it was a full understanding of who David is, of what he was thinking, of what he was doing and why. And and that understanding of, of God's presence, of God's understanding, of God's knowledge was deeper than just kind of a surface level. The second section, verses 7 through 12, are talking about God's presence. So as we understand God's knowledge of us, and we move into God's presence, a couple of things came to mind for me. As I was thinking through that first section, I asked myself, and I'm going to ask you these things too with me, what do we keep hidden from God? What is it that, that we try and keep hidden from God? We know that um, here that, that God says He knows all of these things. He knows all of these things about us. He perceives our thoughts from afar. He understands. He judges our going out and our lying down. He understands our motivation. But yet, we still try and keep things hidden. We still try to hide these areas of our lives and not allow God to come in. But here we see that, that He knows them anyway. So why do we do that? Why do we keep those areas hidden? Why do we have those areas that are closed off? What lengths have we gone to to keep things hidden from others? My story of Tony. I thought I had an alibi all worked out. I thought I had my story straight. But I didn't. I got found out. And we go to those kind of lengths to keep areas of our lives hidden from others. There's things that we do, habits we have, addictions we may have, that we try very good to keep hidden from others. We, we can even come to church on a Sunday morning and have, have a mask that we can hide behind. And that may keep others from knowing the full extent of what's going on in our lives. But God knows. And we know. What lengths have you gone to to keep these things hidden from God? Isn't that a funny thought? Because God knows it anyway, but we still try to keep things hidden from Him. My guess is that we keep those things hidden from God because really we're in denial about what they are doing in our lives, and we're in denial, and we keep those things hidden from ourselves. So really, it's not that we're hiding them from God, but we're hiding them from ourselves. The truth of what we are experiencing, the depth of what we are hiding, it's not hidden from God. We're just not being honest with it ourselves. Shame is a motivator. We keep things hidden because we're ashamed of them. We will go to great lengths to keep these things hidden and keep them from being exposed to somebody else because we don't want to be shamed in front of them. And maybe we do that to Maybe we do that with God too. That if we can keep that hidden, we won't, he won't be ashamed of us. That he won't remove himself from us. that he won't treat us different. But we see here he already knows. And I think it's a process of not revealing what he already knows to him. Why do we pray? We pray because it's a process of us communicating with God the things on our heart. He knows it, but he needs us to communicate that. And so that process of us sharing those things with God, of of laying ourselves open before Him, is this process of Him working these things in our lives. Does that make sense? The second section, verses 7 through 12, talk about God's presence. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The Hebrew word for spirit that's used there. I'm not going to try and pronounce it because I'm not sure I could, refers to to God's Spirit, and it's held in parallel to another word that's used for God's presence, which is "pene," God's face, or His presence, that's used in the second part of the verse. We have His Spirit, and we have God's face. In the Old Testament, the portrayal of God's Spirit is comes up in, in two main ways. The first one, uh, the spirit of God was usually sent upon someone for a short period of time to accomplish a specific task. Judges 6:34, 1 Samuel 19:23 talk about that where where God is present in that person's life to do what God needs them to do at that point in time. The other is the spirit of God was localized as an expression of his presence. Think of the burning bush. Think of the pillar of cloud and fire. However, how David communicates God's presence, God's spirit is a little bit different. Because these are things that came upon David and didn't leave. His presence didn't leave we act as if it does we act sometimes as if God's presence leaves us we go through these horrible tragedies these, these great losses and we act like God's presence has left David says here his presence didn't leave I'm going to draw you to verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. The phrase will cover me or will hide me. The psalmist isn't necessarily thinking of of intentionally hiding from God. The Hebrew word that's used here, again, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, seems to indicate some sort of peril that will separate him from God. Sometimes we we think or we misunderstand that these things happening in our life disqualifies God's presence from us. Now, if there's sin, there's something in our life that doesn't belong, that needs to be addressed. That needs to be um, dealt with. And God cannot be in the presence of sin in our lives. But that doesn't mean he's left us. That doesn't mean he's abandoned us. That doesn't mean he doesn't desire this intimate and close relationship with us because he does. And so the invitation here and and the understanding here is that those things removed from our lives allows God to come in even more. God's presence doesn't leave. I love the passage in Genesis where we read about Adam walking with God in the cool of the day. And I love that imagery because it's an intimate picture of this relationship that God desired from the very beginning for us to have. God, I just I, I picture this of God walking with me, with you, with Adam, in the way it was supposed to be, and talking and enjoying one another's presence and company. We see later on in Genesis 3, 8, where where that's all changed because of sin. And God, I love this. Think of the imagery. God again goes out in the cool of the day. He knew. He knew. But he's heartbroken because he knows what's about to happen. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Are we even aware sometimes of God's presence the way that David talks about it here? And as I was reading through this, I think there are different times when we read verses 7 through 12 that they take on a little bit different meaning than at other times. Because we can read 7 through 12, and if my relationship with God is intimate and close, this this section of of Scripture just talks about this closeness of God in a way that, that just draws me in even more. Where can I escape from you? You are there, you are everywhere, and I can't escape you. And it's a welcoming presence of God in our lives. But I can think back to of times when things weren't so good between me and God. And if I read this passage and I read it from a a filter of, God, I I can't. I can't. I I can't be in your presence. I need to get away. This is too much. It's overwhelming. I can't. And as we read through this today, I bet you had a filter in how you read through that passage today. Do you hear these verses 7 through 12 as God's overwhelming oppressive presence? Or is it welcomed? Is it joyous? Our current relationship with God is a perspective in how we welcome His presence into our lives. And it's a perspective in our desire to be in His presence, Or, do we see it as oppressive, overwhelming, and unwelcome? As I was thinking about those things, I was reminded of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, Jesus travels to what we know as Jacob's well, and I meant to get a map to show you, but um, I I didn't get that done. So where Jacob's well is, is below Judah and above Galilee. And so because of Jews' view of, of Samaritans and Samaria, there was actually a highway that skirted the outside of Samaria. And so when people were traveling from one area to the other, they didn't go, they didn't make a straight shot. Through Samaria. They went the long way. And here in, in John chapter 4, Jesus, Jesus didn't take the highway. Jesus took the straight shot because he wanted to, to meet this woman. And if you know the story, you know what begins to happen. The whole thing is is actually kind of weird. Because the time of day that he encounters her was on purpose. We, we read in this passage the type of woman that she was. And not only the type of past that she had that made up who she is, but her ethnicity as well. So all of these things were out of place. And Jesus, on purpose, cuts right through the center from Judah, Judea to Galilee to encounter this woman. John chapter 4 outlines, and, and it's, it's a long passage. I debated whether to read the whole thing, and I'm not going to. I'm going to invite you to read this later on. But Jesus encounters this conversa- has this conversation with her. And it's one where he does not judge her. He does not exclude her. He does not push her away. But he, on purpose, engages in this conversation with her because he wants her to understand the hope that can be found in him. I think this fits well with Psalm 139, because here in this passage we see where where Jesus was present, the very presence of God was there in her midst, and she wasn't compelled to run away. We also see that, that Jesus knew everything about her, And he didn't leave. How did how did this woman see herself before Jesus? We see in this passage that that she was was ashamed of who she was, and so that's why she went to the well at other times of the day when others weren't going to be there. She was ashamed of her past. But after, after her encounter with Jesus, all this changes. Because not only has the shame gone away, that's a part of her story. And now she uses that to tell others about him. She tells others the life that's found in him, the hope that's found in him. I was also reminded of John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. I want to read 1 through 10 for you this morning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. As we read this passage in the light of Psalm 139, This invitation to abide, this invitation to allow God to know us intimately and completely, this invitation for for God's presence to be a welcome part of our life. All of those things point to how Jesus encountered others, how Jesus encounters us, and how he desires for us to abide in him, for us to be walking with him step in step. this series centers around thankfulness. It centers around this idea that that no matter what we are going through, no matter what we are experiencing, we can be thankful because God is faithful, because God loves us, because it's an opportunity for us to respond to those things. I don't know quite where this message finds you today but I want to share a couple of things with you when we feel alone we can be thankful we have a God who knows us intimately and sees us constantly we can trust God with our life and our future because his intimate knowledge of us shows him to be trustworthy all of these encounters the woman at the well, David, me. All of those encounters, God proved himself faithful. He proved himself as one that loved, that invited me to be a part with him. As a prayer team, or as a prayer team, as a praise team makes our way up. We're going to sing a couple of songs in closing together and invite you to worship. We're going to re-sing, I love you, Lord. And I pray this morning that that would be your response to God's presence today. Of what he wants to do in your life.